Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Medisodes. This week we're going to be discussing HIV and AIDS, which affect the lives of millions around the world. HIV stands for Human Immunodeficiency Virus and it, as the name suggests, is a virus that targets the immune system. Later on in this episode, Shrey will discuss how HIV replicates in the body and how it attacks the immune system. Without treatment, HIV infection advances in stages, getting progressively worse over time. Eventually, HIV causes AIDS, which stands for Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. There are three distinct stages to HIV infection. The first stage is called acute HIV infection, and generally develops within two to four weeks of infection. During this time, some people have flu-like symptoms, such as fever, headache and rashes. HIV multiplies and spreads rapidly throughout the body, and the virus replicates and attacks immune cells. The level of HIV in the blood is very high, which increases the risk of HIV transmission. The second stage is called chronic HIV infection, in which HIV continues to multiply in the blood at very low levels. At this stage, people may not display any HIV-related symptoms. In approximately 10 years, the disease progresses to the next stage, called AIDS. This is the final, most severe stage of HIV infection. At this point, a person is so immunocompromised and they are unable to fight off any infections on their own, which opens them up to opportunistic infections, which are the name we give to infections that are more frequent or severe when the person is immunocompromised. A patient with AIDS has a high viral load and they can transmit HIV to other people very easily. Without treatment, people with AIDS can typically survive three years. A person is considered to have progressed to AIDS if the number of CD4 cells in the blood falls below 200 cells per cubic millimetre of blood. Relative to a healthy person's CD4 cell count of 500 to 1600 CD4 cells per cubic millimetre, or if they develop one or more opportunistic infections regardless of their CD4 count. In the first stage, acute HIV infection, about two-thirds of people will have a flu-like illness which is the body's natural response to HIV infection. These include symptoms such as fever, chills, rashes, night sweats, muscle aches, a sore throat, fatigue and mouth ulcers. These symptoms can last anywhere from a few days to several weeks. The next stage, as discussed before, comes with relatively few or no symptoms. And then the final stage, AIDS, comes in more severe symptoms, some of which can be related to other opportunistic infections. Symptoms of AIDS include rapid weight loss, recurring fever, extreme tiredness, prolonged swelling of the lymph glands, diarrhea for more than a week, pneumonia, as well as several other severe symptoms. Since most, if not all, of the symptoms that a patient will experience throughout the course of HIV infection can be associated with other diseases, the only way to confirm whether a patient has HIV is to do an HIV test. HIV testing is provided to anyone free of charge on the NHS and many cleaners can get the result back to the pin a day. Home testing and home sampling tests are also available, if that is preferred. The patient should seek medical advice immediately if there is a chance of HIV or they believe that they have been exposed to the virus, because the earlier it is diagnosed and treated, the longer the life expectancy of the patient. Now I'll hand over to Shrey, who will discuss in more detail about the mechanism of HIV infection and how it replicates in the body. HIV is a virus. That means it can't replicate on its own. It needs a host to be able to replicate itself. To do this, the HIV virus targets and infects 
T helper cells, which are a type of immune cell within the body. There are these glycoproteins on the virus's envelope, and these are called the one that targets is called GP120, glycoprotein 120, which are in specific to hit the HIV virus. And what happens is the GP120 molecules bind to the CD4 receptor molecules on the T helper cells. And there is also binding of the CCR5 co-receptors as well. And this allows the HIV virus to fuse with the cell membrane and enter the cell. And once it's done this, in the inside of the HIV virus, the capsimers, all the viral RNA and all, all the machinery it has, can, be, can enter into the cell cytoplasm. The only thing that needs to be done now is for the virus's RNA to be turned into DNA that the cell can recognize. So to do this, the virus uses an enzyme called reverse transcriptase, which copies the viral RNA, and this creates double-stranded DNA. Then the viral DNA will travel into the nucleus through the nuclear pores. And here, integrase and other enzymes will insert the viral DNA into the host DNA so that the viral DNA becomes part of that cell's genetic material. Then, the viral DNA is transcribed into messenger RNA in um, normal cell protein synthesis. From that, virus proteins can be then translated by the cell's ribosomes into new viral RNA as well as all the viral proteins that are needed to make up the virus, such as the capsimers and stuff like that. These viral envelope proteins pass through the Golgi body, which is one of the organelles within the cell, and that packages them into the correct shape. Once enough virus have been made, they assemble, and they bud out of the host cell. They kind of take with them the phospholipid bilayer of the T helper cell. This creates an envelope around the, the viral RNA and protects it. But that also means that the T helper cell dies. That's one of the main reasons HIV is so dangerous, is because it kills the T helper cells. And therefore, that reduces immune, the immune system's capacity to fight the virus. Let's look at the historical significance behind that at Anapam. While at one point HIV was thought to be escalating to the scale of a global pandemic, in recent years, thanks to global efforts from the WHO and the UN, and also national efforts from countries where it was extremely prevalent, HIV has been brought back down to lower levels. Although this doesn't mean that it's a small disease by any stretch of the definition. As of 2020, 37.6 million people globally were living with HIV. And in 2020, 1.5 million people became newly infected. Of these new infections, 1.3 million were individuals aged 15 plus. 160,000 were among children aged 0 to 14 years old. This is a 31% decline in new infections since 2010. However, it does not mark the end of the epidemic by any stretch of the fact of the matter. In fact, 34.7 million people have died from AIDS-related illnesses since the start of the epidemic, 690,000 of them in 2020. Regionally, HIV is very distinct. While in places such as Western Europe and North America, there are only 2.2 million people living with HIV, it's a lot more prevalent in other parts of the world, such as Eastern and Southern Africa, where 20.6 million people live with HIV, and where the majority of new infections are found, up to 670,000 of the 1.5 million total I cited earlier in 2020. 
HIV is also found in other locations. In the Caribbean, there's 330,000 people. Latin America, 2.1 million. Western and Central Africa has 4.7 million. And the Asia and Pacific region has the second largest number of people with HIV, that being 5.7 million. HIV is transmitted by the exchange of a variety of bodily fluids from infected people. This includes blood, breast milk, and sexual fluids as well. HIV can also be transmitted from a mother to her child during pregnancy and delivery via the amniotic fluid and placenta. However, individuals cannot become infected through ordinary day-to-day -day contact, such as kissing, hugging, shaking hands, sharing personal objects, or sharing food or water. When HIV was first prevalent, however, there were many rumours circulating that it could spread by these measures, and a lot of people still believe that they can be infected just by being near a person who has HIV. It's also important to note that people with HIV who are taking ART and are virally suppressed cannot transmit HIV to their sexual partners. Early access to ART and support to remain on treatment is therefore critical to make sure that HIV transmission does not increase. Now, any discussion about HIV and AIDS deserves a proper historical background, as this is a disease which have had a lot of historical significance around the world, especially for those in the LGBTQ community. The first story about an exotic new disease, that being HIV, appeared in 1981 in a gay newspaper, The New York Native, and it was first clinically observed in that year in the United States. Because the first clusters of in infection were amongst drug users and gay men, with no known cause of impaired immunity for those who showed symptoms, many officials were quick to diagnose this as a gay-related disease, and the term GRID, which stood for Gay-Related Immune Deficiency, was coined. The CDC at the time also created the name the 4-H disease, as it seemed to single out, as they termed it, Haitians, haemophiliacs, heroin users, and homosexuals. However, much later, it was realised that AIDS was not isolated to the gay community, and it was a disease like any other, and terms such as 4-H disease and GRID were phased out. However, this has led to a lot of discrimination against people who are from that community, with the belief that HIV was sent as a punishment to them by extreme right-wing believers in the US and other countries. Even today, there is a lot of problems for people with HIV when it comes to seeking medication and help, as they are often unfairly judged by their communities and peers. In 1983, two separate research groups, one led by the American Robert Gallo, and two led by the French investigators Francois Barry-Sinoussi and Luc Montagnier, independently declared that the novel retrovirus was infecting AIDS patients, and they discovered the HIV virus, claiming that it was similar in shape to other human T-lymphotrophic viruses, or other viruses that infect T-cells. Following this discovery, the two groups worked together, and they managed to isolate HIV in 1987. Once it was isolated, groups around the world began to work on treatment, and more on treatment, I'd hand over to Surya. Currently, there is no cure for HIV or AIDS. Once you have the infection, your body can't get rid of it. However, there are many medications that can control HIV and prevent complications. These medications are called antiretroviral therapy, or ART. Everyone diagnosed with HIV should be started on ART regardless of their stage of infection or complications. ART is usually a combination of three or more medications from different drug classes. This approach has the best chance 
of lowering the amount of HIV in the blood. There are many ART options that can that combine three HIV medications into one pill, taken once daily. Each class of drugs blocks the virus in different ways. Treatment involves combinations of drugs from different classes to account for individual drug resistance, avoid creating new drug-resistant strains of HIV, and maximizing suppression of virus in the blood. Two drugs from one class plus a third drug from a second class are typically used. The classes of anti-HIV drugs include non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, which turn off a protein needed by HIV to make copies of itself. Another class of anti-HIV drugs include nucleoside or nucleotide reverse transcriptase inhibitors, which are faulty versions of the building blocks that HIV needs to make copies of itself. Combinations of these types of drugs are also available. Another type of anti-HIV drug is called a protease inhibitor, which inactivates the HIV protease, another protein that HIV needs to make copies of itself. Another anti-HIV drug is called integrase inhibitors, which work by disabling a protein called integrase, which HIV uses to insert its genetic material into CD4 T cells. The last class of anti-HIV drugs are called entry or fusion inhibitors, which block HIV's, HIV's entry into CD4 T cells. Everyone with HIV infection, regardless of the CD4 T cell count or symptoms, should be offered antiviral medication. Remaining on effective ART with an undetectable HIV viral load in the blood is the best way for you to stay healthy. For ART to be effective, it's important that you take the medications as prescribed without missing or skipping any doses. Staying on ART with an undetectable viral load helps keep your immune system strong, reduce your chances of getting an infection, reduce your chances of developing treatment-resistant HIV, reduce your chances of transmitting HIV to other people. Staying on HIV therapy can be challenging. It's important to talk to your doctor about potential side effects. Potential side effects could include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or kidney and liver damage. They could also weaken bones or lead to bone loss, and it could also lead to abnormal cholesterol levels, high blood sugar, or cognitive and emotional problems. So hopefully you have gained a good insight into the treatments of HIV. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of Medisos. Be sure to like, comment and subscribe. And we'll see you next week for another episode.